0: We're ready for 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In just a moment, we'll read 1 Corinthians 9, 1 and 2. As you look at this chapter, a couple things to keep in mind. Paul's been talking about the eating of meat and how there are people who have uh, differences of opinion. in, In that matter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, some were strong, some were comfortable doing that, others were weak. And he's still kind of on that same subject here, but he's going to turn the corner a little bit and talk about something that is in the same category, but it's also somewhat distinct. And the other quick thing I think that I would make as far as a note as you're getting to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 and 2, when you look at Paul, he is someone who really needs to be respected because he was attacked by just about everybody. There were surely some people who loved Paul, but he was attacked by false teachers. He was attacked by the Jews. And then as you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you're going to find that there were some people who were apparently Christians or at least they had some interest in Christianity. They went after him as well. And in spite of being under siege by a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons, he still prevailed. He kept his head up, even goes to prison and suffers all kinds of things. And yet he's the one who continues to fight the good fight of faith. If you want to be encouraged, if you want to be strengthened in your faith, if you want to see just how much someone can endure for the cause of Christ, Paul is a really good example. You see him making a defense in 1 Corinthians 9, 1 and 2 with several questions. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, you can see there the opposition. He says, yet at least I am to you. For the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. Now you may remember that as you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, that chapter closes by saying, if meat causes my brother to stumble, I'll not eat it. In fact, Paul said that he was willing to never eat meat again. He went to a very extreme conclusion or position if indeed that would be a problem for people. So if there were certain practices which bothered fellow Christians, Paul was very sensitive to that. We talked about the fact that he wanted those brethren to be instructed. He identifies them as weak, implying, of course, that that state hopefully could be overcome and they could be classified along with the strong. But um, here you find that he's going to continue to talk about that kind of thing. But in this particular case, he begins by uh, talking about his own Christian life. You do find that at times Paul praises himself. And that's always a difficult thing. Back in the book of Proverbs, it says, let another praise thee. But sometimes you may have to highlight something. You may have to call some attention to yourself to make a point. And that's precisely what Paul does. He's trying to set things straight, and he uses himself as an example. So it may seem a little self-serving in some in some respects, but that was not his intention. You have four questions that we read as we start 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And if you follow along, maybe you've got the King James translation, you might have noticed that the first two were reversed. That, of course, is due to a manuscript variation. So the same questions, the order is just a little bit different. Paul begins by asking if he was not free well the answer to that question would have been what was he a free man or a slave he was a free man so these questions are rhetorical that is the answers are implied in the question he asked am i not an apostle was he or was he not yes the answer to that question is also very very clear and paul when he talks about am i these things in verse one he uh says that twice and each time it is a present tense verb he asks if he had not seen jesus our lord When you look at that word, which is translated seen, you find that used a little bit later in the letter. It's going to be used over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. Uh, Discussion there about seeing Christ. And then finally he asked, whether had he seen the Lord? Yes, that was also clear when you go back and you look at the book of Acts. And then he asked the Corinthians, are you not my work in the Lord? What would the answer to that question have been? Yes, they were his work in the Lord. That congregation was uh, founded largely by Paul. When you uh, look at this, Paul says, are ye not my work in the Lord? Our present tense. Uh, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 comes to mind. John talked about walking in the light. It's fascinating to me that when you look at the Corinthians, it's you, you almost go chapter after chapter after chapter, and you see the different ways that these brethren were off. You see all the problems that they had. I mean, this was a problem-ridden church. And yet, in spite of all the difficulties, Paul said, you are still in the Lord. Uh, i've often wondered how far the grace of god will go i don't know uh there's i guess from a human perspective no way of telling as far as how far uh, a congregation can go how far a person individually can go off the rails spiritually speaking and they're still in a right relationship with god but it does look like when you especially look at the first corinthian letter that in some ways god's grace is like a rubber band and that should give us some consolation when you think about stretching a rubber band can you eventually break it you stretch it far enough it will and that's also true for God's grace. You can push the envelope far enough where God says you're severed from Christ, Galatians chapter five and verse four. You're no longer one of my people and you are no longer in Christ. But how many steps do you have to take? How far do you have to go? Uh, using the imagery from Luke chapter 15, as far as the son who went into the far country, how distant do you need to get away from God before he says, you are not one of my people? You have a similar thing when you look at the seven churches of Asia in Revelation chapter two and three there were some serious issues congregationally with those brethren. And yet, you do find that by and large, uh, Christ was still in fellowship with them when they got to the point of being uh, lukewarm or did some other things Then they were in definite spiritual danger. But God's grace is greater, I think, than a lot of times, that, that it's far greater than a lot of people give it credit for sometimes. So we don't want to see how far we can push it, but at the same time, we do want to realize that they're, for the lack of a better word, Uh, is perhaps more elasticity there than sometimes people give God credit for. We do know that we can make shipwreck of the faith, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 19, but at least at this point, the Corinthians were still in Christ. We've seen a similar thing with our Galatian class. They were in danger of being separated from Christ, but when Paul wrote the letter, even though false teachers had had a significant impact on them, they were still considered the people of God. Anything that you want to add or ask based on what I've said thus far? Tim?
1: I suspect that this church, this congregation here, was not unlike some of the churches of Christ today. Yeah. That, in other words, they, they have problems today. Some of them to the point where those congregations split. And this this congregation here, it probably had a number of people that were... Really good and tried to do what they were supposed to do, but it probably was permeated with others in, in that congregation that were trying to ride the center line half, half the foot in sin, half of it out, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So they probably had a big problem there.
0: I think you see that illustrated quite well when John wrote to the Seven Churches of Asia. He talked about the fact that there were some who had not defiled their garments implying that within the congregation there were definitely some people who had gone further than they should have, but not everything had gone to seed. There were still some people who were trying to do what's right. So, um, you know, there is that preserving influence sometimes in a nation and certainly in a congregation, and hopefully we're going to be part of that if we're in a congregation ever that has some serious doctrinal issues. Anybody else? Okay, let's see what else we've got here. Uh, Paul said he was free. That, of course, is the opposite of the, the slave. Part of that might be that spiritual freedom that Jesus talked about in John chapter 8, verses 32 and 36. It would imply that Paul was not under any earthly master. We're going to see that coming through in verse 19. And when it came to those morally neutral matters like eating meat, then, of course, uh, he had those rights, he had the power, he had the authority to that. So if Paul's going to, and you're going to see this a little bit later in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we've already seen it a little bit in chapter 8, if he's going to argue that he is surrendering some rights, he's not doing some things. If that's your point, what do you first have to prove? You can't surrender what you don't have. And that's why Paul begins in First Corinthians 9, 1 and 2, talking about the things which he does have. He is an apostle, he is free, he has seen Jesus uh, the Lord, uh, the Corinthians are his work in the Lord, so he sort of uh, sets up the Foundation for saying this is who I am, this is what I've done, and then when he renounces those rights, then that's going to make a lot of sense. Uh, we may not have any reservations about Paul's authority. We might say, sure, he was an apostle, he was a great apostle, did uh, as much as any other apostle, but there were some at Corinth who apparently were questioning Paul's power and his uh, religious authority. We don't know exactly who those people were. Thinking now, as far as the first part of verse two. But it does look like those claims were at least fairly powerful, maybe somewhat persuasive to the Corinthians. It could have been a false teacher. You do find that Paul had to face those people at various times, deceivers, and they may have come along and said Paul had no power, he had no authority, he had no rights. On the other hand, the false teacher was the one who was the true spokesman for God. When we look at our society, and this is especially true, I think, when you look at social issues or you look at political issues, Oftentimes, the people who are the uh, best speakers, the most powerful speakers, and sometimes even the most influential speakers, what side of the fence are they on? The right side or the wrong side? The wrong side. I've always been amazed by that. It seems like the people who are not on the right side of things as far as God and the Bible, uh, sometimes, I mean, they are the best speakers. They are very, very polished. I'm not too fond about the governor when it comes to California, but anybody ever hear, uh, hear him talk? You think he's slick? He is good. I mean, he, I mean, he's just like the devil. That's at least my estimation of him. That's an opinion. Uh, but when you listen to the guy talk, I mean, he can make the worst slime pit sound like the best place to live. And it's just amazing that people are able to, uh, spin and twist and smile and get things done. So if you can imagine someone like that, maybe you like the governor of California, sorry if you do, but, um, if you can imagine someone like that, very likely that's what Paul was dealing with this here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul's going to talk about preachers and money. And the bottom line is he's going to say that preachers are people who deserve to get paid. And that was not something that he took from the Corinthians as far as finances. But if you are someone who's on the opposite side of Paul and you want to get the guy, um, that would, of course, be one of the things that you might say about him. He is just in it for the money and charges like that are easy to make you see that same kind of thing in the political realm people will say something and it it is just a sentence but if you're actually going to go in and respond to that if you're going to undo that how long does it take you to undo it just took the guy 10 seconds to say it but if you're going to successfully um, refute the charge what's going to be involved for you yeah you're going to need a very lengthy response well no that's not true for all these reasons the difficulty there is getting people to listen to all the reasons they have made the charge and maybe some people will instantly think that it's true and it's very very difficult to be in that position where you're trying to to respond to something uh, which is just a powerful charge and trying to get people to listen long enough but we're going to see in verses 12 15 and 18 that Paul refused financial support from the Corinthians And, um, he's going to use that as far as one of the points when he says, I did not exercise my rights as an apostle. Um, the other quick thing I think that we can say here before we move on a little bit to a different point, um, when you know that Paul was attacked, would you say then it's going to be likely that Christians today, if they're trying to live a life for God, they're also going to be attacked as well. We should expect that. And it can come from all kinds of places, all kinds of sources. It might come from the world. Paul was attacked by pagans. He was attacked by Jews. The Jews, of course, would have been very religious, but that didn't matter. And as we think about uh, people today, he was attacked uh, from people within the church. Those same kinds of things can happen. Let's think for a second about one of the charges against Paul. He had not seen Jesus. You see that at the end of verse 1. Do you think there's a chance that Paul had seen Jesus or maybe even talked to Jesus while he was on the earth? I think that has to be at least considered. When you consider all the places where Jesus went, you consider the fame that he had. I mean, if you were Paul, you were this Pharisee, you were trying to live your life for God, and this fellow shows up and begins doing the things that Jesus did, I mean, it would only be natural. Um, Teresa's got a relative right now who went over to Japan. Uh, the relative is in school to learn more about art and she's architecture and I went over to um, Japan to learn about architecture. So if that's kind of your field, you want to go where things are happening. You want to go and get some insights, some knowledge, some understanding. So whether or not we have a conversation between Jesus and Paul while the Lord was on the earth, we don't know. But I do think that it's uh, at least possible and maybe, maybe likely that Paul perhaps shadowed Jesus or at least got some kind of information. It's almost unthinkable for me uh, to think that, Paul and Jesus never had any kind of uh, interaction or connection, Um, but that could have happened. Carol?
2: Paul seemed to be a person that didn't just
1: take someone's word for it. He kind of did a little research on his own, so it makes sense that when people are talking about Jesus, he might want to see or hear
0: for himself. Yeah. I mean, we know that Luke was a careful investigator. Paul, when you look at his writings... The same kind of thing. So it's at least a possibility. Adam, were you thinking about something or not?
2: Well, he, Paul was trained, uh, was trained um, by Gamaliel, which was one of the most prominent yeah. Sanhedrin members when a scholar got a school. And so uh, we don't know exactly how old Paul was, judging on how short a period of time after the beginning of the creation of the church, that he wouldn't have been around um, because he was in Jerusalem quite a bit, would have had to have been been under the schooling of such a renowned scholar.
0: Yeah. Uh, Shirley spent some time around the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus is there a lot, so the chance that they cross paths, I think it's at least 50-50, in my estimation, likely higher. Now, we do know that Paul was a special case, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 8. We'll see that later in the letter. We also know, as you think about the apostles, that Acts chapter 1, verses 21 through 22, uh, they were people who had been with Jesus from about the time of John the Baptist up until the resurrection. If they were going to be qualified to be an apostle in that sense of the 12, that was how things worked for them. They certainly had to be a witness of the Lord's resurrection, and Paul qualified on that point. Back in Luke chapter 24 and verse 48, Jesus talked about the fact that they were going to be witnesses, and Paul, if he were going to be a witness, he certainly had to see Jesus in that resurrected state. So Paul was unique in his apostleship. You may remember that back in Acts chapter 9 verse um, 15, and then 1 Corinthians 1 verse 1, Paul makes the point that, and God too, that he was a specially chosen vessel, and that was uh, as far as a selection made on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 6. So Paul told people that he was specially endowed by God, that he was the one who was chosen out of, um, you know, the right, the normal season. Galatians chapter one verses fifteen and sixteen. It's also interesting if you were to look at First Timothy, uh, the second Timothy chapter one and verse twelve. Paul didn't say, "I know what I've believed." He did know what he believed, but he said, "I know in whom I believed." So he was firmly persuaded that Jesus had been raised from the dead. He was completely convinced that he had had that personal interaction with the Lord. So when his apostleship was questioned, you really see that he gets his back up. He is willing to knuckle down and say, look, guys, if you want to dispute this, if you want to challenge this, you know, take me on because I am truly an apostle of Christ. He not only says that, but he also looks at his work and he tells the Corinthians, first Corinthians chapter nine and verse one, the end of the verse, he says, you are whose work in the Lord. You're here because of who? You're here because of me. And he's not doing that out of pride. He's not doing that because he wants to boast. But he's doing that, again, to set the people straight who have challenged his authority. Adam, back to you.
2: I think uh, you got me thinking there when you were talking, reminded me of how Paul was a special, chosen person. And for him to be chosen, even when there's already the what they call the twelve, and then uh, various other apostles, I think it, it's interesting because uh, it would make a lot of sense because even though he was a Jew, he was an actual born Roman citizen. Mm-hmm. So he had a lot more rights than the the twelve that were primarily from Galilee. Yeah, um, Because he could go and do whatever he wanted to, basically, within the confines of the Roman Empire. So him having... That qualification as a person is probably one of the reasons, not just because of his character, but that made a lot of good sense when you think about it. For him to be able to, to go to all these other places and not have to worry about anything, because the Romans, if you're a Roman citizen, you have be, even had more rights when you were accused of something and or arrested or whatever.
0: Yeah, Roman citizenship, the training that he had, the life that he had lived, all of those things tied together to make him really the complete package to go out and do what God wanted done. We see a similar thing today. Uh, A person is maybe working in an area where you have a lot of uh, Spanish people, uh, a lot of Hispanics. person goes to apply for a job and the person says, I'm bilingual, I can speak English as well as Spanish. Is that going to be a plus in some environments? you better believe it. They might, You might be less qualified as far as the actual job, but if you know that additional language, they might just pick you up for that skill, basically, and that skill alone. We've seen that sometimes with missionaries today. There have been missionaries uh, or people who have decided to become missionaries, they have dual citizenship. They may be able to uh, have citizenship in the U.S. and Canada or the U.S. and a country overseas, and that makes them ideal. They can go back and forth and they can live in whichever country they they choose, work in whichever country they choose, and that is a very valuable benefit. So Paul came to the table with a lot of things that a lot of other people, as Adam rightly said, did not have. Going back to the point here that we made just a moment ago too, without him, I mean, somebody else could have come along and established this congregation, but certainly it's Paul, he's the one who this congregation can be traced back to, as we read about in Acts chapter 18. There's a lesson there for us. As we think about the congregations that we've perhaps been associated with over the years, and this one would certainly be true as well, uh, we really stand on the shoulders of others. There have been people who have come before us, people who may have started the congregation, or people who uh, helped things progress for a period of time, and they allowed things to either reach the point or continue to the point where we can be members of that congregation. And maybe we know who some of those people were, maybe not. Uh, Ray Caudell... As you look at him, as far as what he did with Willowdale and some other people in the area, longtime Christians, uh, there should be a debt of gratitude. There should be some appreciation to those people because oftentimes we appreciate, we reap the fruits of their labor. And if somebody hadn't started a congregation, we might not have a place to worship. So uh, that was true for the Corinthians, and you do see that reminder here. Paul knew that there were some people, verse 2, that did not consider him an apostle. He knew that there were some people who had questions about his authority, but he's really kind of confused. You know, if he's the one who helped start the congregation, assuming that we still have members there who were part of that initial founding, you would think that they would be thinking what concerning Paul? Would they have had any questions about him? They shouldn't have, but it's like they forgot. It's like the false teachers came in and bewitched them so he had that personal labor that personal attention he says in second corinthians chapter three and verse two you are my personal letter of recommendation that is if somebody needs to know something about me i'm just pointing them to you now that seems a little bit odd because if the corinthians had all these issues that might not seem like such a swell letter of recommendation but that's not really the point as far as all the problems he's saying you are here and you exist, and you're able to worship the right God, you have the truth because of me. And again, that's not something that he was trying to boast about, but it was a way of saying, uh, you know, you're part of my credentials. All right, you also find, as you look at the Corinthians, we saw this back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, the Corinthians had changed their lives. If you have someone who was a drunkard, and the person turns their life around, and that's due to a specific person, the person who helped that drunkard, change his life, what would you say about that person? Good things or bad things? I mean, that is a wonderful person. He brought them out of that state. They're no longer involved with the bottle. He did a really good thing. So Paul is there. He's taking people who are involved with all kinds of sins, even criminal activity. Paul turned around some people who were criminals. First Corinthians chapter six, verses nine through 11. And you have to look at that kind of person and you have to say, you did a really good thing. You were a wonderful man. Yet there were some people who show up, and it's like they discount all of those works. But Paul is trying to remind the Christians, you know the facts. Remember who helped you. Then in the second letter, first second uh, Corinthians chapter twelve and verse twelve, he says, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience by signs and wonders and mighty works. So first Corinthians chapter nine and verse two, Paul said, Even if to others. They don't accept me. You should just remember the history, all these things that have happened, and uh, hopefully they did have some good thoughts about him. All right. In the middle of ver- anything, we want to add or ask before we talk about the word seal, Dolores. I'm sorry. In verse two, who are the others? I think he's. Even though others may not think I think those would be the people who were the the false teachers or the people who were being especially critical to Paul they just kind of pooh-poohed him and said, oh yeah, that Paul, you know, he's nothing. And that's why Paul comes back with all of these points as far as... I just wanted to
2: make sure that you didn't think it was like another area, group of Christians
0: that met. I don't think so. I think these are the people who are forcefully opposing Paul and that's why he comes out so powerfully uh, with all of these points. He says, as you move to the middle of verse 2, that uh, the Corinthians were the seal of his apostleship. When you look at that word, which is translated seal of the 16 times that it's used in the New Testament, 13 of those times are found in the book of Re- uh, Revelation, but it is used here. And uh, it means that the church at Corinth was the legal confirmation or the attesting sign to Paul's apostleship. So he stakes a lot on the Corinthian congregation. You are here because of me. You exist because of my work and you need to recognize the work that I have done. When we think about seals, what comes to mind? Are seals important to us?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Where do we see seals? Mm-hmm. All right. We seal an envelope. Uh, for example, if we get an envelope and it is unsealed, especially if there's something inside that's valuable, people will sometimes get concerned thinking perhaps that the seal was broken by somebody and whatever was inside that was valuable has been taken. Ken? I think of uh, <clears throat> people like kings
1: and queens that when they would when they would yeah. uh, put forth some type of communique, they would they would seal it with a, a drop of wax and put their seal in there mm-hmm. to show that this was that this was said by a person of
2: real authority.
0: Yeah, seals and authority go hand in hand, and they have for a very very long time. Adam,
2: I also think about like um, like a seal like for like a notary would put on a, a document. It's certified for, like in the construction industry, you have a set of plans before you can start building. You have to take it somewhere for them to look at it and put a seal saying this is good, this, this will work.
0: Yeah, people will sometimes run, especially if it's a raised seal, they will search for that maybe on a birth certificate or something else, a notary, uh, a raised seal, those kinds of things. What about when it comes um, stable? A chancer you may get it.
1: Basketball section and it, it, not just
0: a sectional, but every game the official has to sign the scorebook. Is official until the game officials sign. Okay. So, yeah, there, there is that. Rec- yeah, there is that recognition that this is an official act or uh, this is something that's been certified, Bonnie.
2: Good housekeeping seal of approval.
0: Yeah, some people will check things out and then they will give their seal of approval. What about with medicines? I remember being in a foreign country one time. Somebody needed a medicine. We went in, and uh, generally speaking, even if it's a vitamin, when you open up, you pop the container, take you know this and that off, you find that there's a seal inside. So here was a person who got some medicine which was not sealed, and that was the first time that it, uh, had ever that I recall, at least at least it stuck with me that you know anybody could have just come along because it was out there a pharmacy. They had some stuff that you uh, would probably have to have a prescription for in the U.S. And anybody could have come along and just unscrewed that and put something else in there or taken something out or done whatever they wanted. And I just thought that was so strange because in our country, we take seals very, very seriously, even for vitamins.
2: I still have a cramp mm-hmm. that I can use to seal, but now they use a rubber stamp, Huh. which kind of, uh, like, and I know other notaries at, in the bank that I worked with are like, this just doesn't feel right. Yeah. You know, because we we like that seal because it, there's no way you can duplicate that. Mm-hmm. But on this rubber stamp, you have your commission number and what have you, but <clears throat> most people now just use
0: yeah. I've seen some birth certificates that were rejected even though they looked official and they actually were real records because there was not the embossed seal right. they were rejected so that's interesting thank you Sherman did you have a thought? Well, you brought
1: up the word a little bit ago certificate or certification you get that yeah. like you go to
2: classes you yeah. take some courses you get a certification graduated from high school from college you have a seal on there you know
1: Documenting that yes, you did. you did met all the criteria,
0: and you're a graduate now. Yeah, and that, that's a great illustration. We think of the the college um, diploma, and Paul's basically saying, "You're my diploma. You know, you are my seal. You are my proof. I did the science, and I did the work, and you are here, uh, obviously because of God. But I was his servant, and I was the one who taught you the truth." Was there somebody else, Adam? Were you gonna? Okay. All right, let me give you a little historical background here. One source noted how in ancient days the seal was extremely important. When a cargo of grain or dates or the like was being sent off, the last thing that was done was that the bags and sacks and cases were sealed with the seal to show that the consignment was genuinely what it claimed to be. When a will was made, it was sealed with seven seals and it was not legally valid unless it was produced with the seven seals intact. The seal is that guarantee that something is genuine. The very fact that the Corinthian church was the guarantee of Paul's apostleship. So... Just as that seal is extremely important for us, it would have made a lot of sense for these people when Paul introduces that imagery here. When you look at the word which is translated apostleship, that's not a word that we generally find in the New Testament. We see the word apostle frequently used, but not apostleship. Aside from here, it's used in Acts 1 and verse 25, and it's also over in uh, Romans 1 5, and then finally it's used in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28. When we think about the apostles, they were the central figures in the church, they were the leaders. Uh, They were the people who were working just under Christ and they were part of the church's foundation, Ephesians 2 and verse 20. They thus had certain rights, certain responsibilities, certain freedoms that came with the office and they were very, very powerful people. One source said Paul was in charge of the church, quote unquote, not the other way around. And that's kind of what it looks like the Corinthians got messed up. They thought that the church was in charge of Paul and the other apostles. So um, Paul is trying to set them straight. Anything you want to add or ask before we move down to verse 3? Don, to you. Did
1: Paul,
3: uh, the bringing people back to life or...
0: or raise the dead? Something like that? Did Paul raise the dead? Uh, you have Eutychus in the book of Acts. The Bible says he fell out of the window and it does appear that he actually had died. So, um, I mean, people can fall out of a window and be stunned or, you know, just knocked unconscious. Um, but it does look like, from the description there by Luke, that uh, he was dead. So in that particular case, that would be one example of Paul restoring someone's life. Uh, talking about the uh, seal of
3: approval, uh, to my word, thinking thinking, that when uh, Paul was uh, killing Christians, and Jesus told him no no
0: you can't do that it, it, it's possible I don't know that we can say that for 100% certainty that he ever took a life but it, it's at least possible that he did that, and, he implied
3: that he was. yes um, and Jesus does stop him Right. so he goes away
0: for a while and then he comes back to those Christians uh, to me
3: uh, even they, they a few years I don't know how many years it came, but a few years they still have memories. Him involved in killing Christians. And for him to stand there among them and say, I'm this person, I'm an apostle, uh, who people who might want to kill him because of what he did to Christians. I don't know how far, how far you can go than uh, say, Here I am if you want to kill me. I'm not saying he said that, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm,
0: the, I'm the real thing yeah Uh, sometimes a person will say it took guts for you to do that we could i think say that same thing about paul you know for him to have done all the things that he did you know first Timothy chapter one talks about he was a blasphemer he was a persecutor he was injurious all those bad things the book of galatians also talks about that former matter of life and for him to turn his life around uh, a lot of people would say i've changed i'm going to go hide under a rock i I, you know um, there's just no way for me to ever really find redemption in the eyes of people But other people might go a little uh, different path. They might say, I've changed my life, so I'm going to go way out here where nobody knows me. Well, that probably would be difficult in today's world, but uh, they kind of, you know, start their ministry or do something way out here. But, I mean, Paul, you know, he goes to places like Jerusalem. I mean, he goes to the very place where he had a hand in Stephen's death. At least he was supporting that. So he not only does an about-face, but I mean, he, he I mean, he comes right back and goes up center stage and grabs the microphone and says, "Hey, uh, you know, now I'm a Christian and now I'm a preacher and now I'm an apostle." And when he got this this kind of hard pushback from the apostates, he doesn't run. So, as I said, you, you've got to give the guy credit. And when God said that he is a chosen vessel, God knowing uh, the the uh, end from the beginning, Isaiah 46 and verse 10, how Paul would respond you've really got to look at this guy with a lot of admiration i mean he was either a man who was absolutely nuts which that doesn't line up with what he wrote um or, or he was somebody who was in love with christ and was firmly committed to him and that's what he affirms as far as the latter point and he truly is an amazing man That it okay let's pick up with verse three he says my defense to them that examine me is this So Paul now makes it clear that there were some people who were examining him and he had a defense for them. So uh, again, there were some people who were very, very critical of him and his work and he was willing to stand there and take all the flack and and, uh, deal with all the attacks. When you look at that word, which is translated defense, it described a critical investigation. If you're going to criticize someone who is perhaps in the public eye, someone who's getting a lot of attention, You're probably going to be critical in a lot of different ways, and Paul surely faced a lot of different allegations, and you see some of those in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In this particular case, it described the kind of investigation that would justify someone obtaining a legal defense to respond to the charges. There might be a lot of things that come up in life where a person decides to defend himself or herself, but when you decide you have to go out and get a lawyer, how serious is it? It's pretty serious. So Paul uses a word which brings to mind that analogy. People were making accusations to the point where he felt like he needed a very spirited defense. Well, there was no human attorney that was going to be able to help him, so uh, what's he going to rely on? He's an apostle, so who's going to help him out? God is. He's going to have that inspired defense, which would have been better than anything. Uh, Peter used the same word as far as defense in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. He talked about making that defense, being set for the defense of the gospel. One source said the term underlies the theological term for apologetics, that is, the defense of the faith. When we talk about being um, an apologist for Christ, we don't mean that we're telling people we're sorry. We mean that we're out there trying to defend the faith, and that's what Paul was going to do. When you look at the word which is translated examined, uh, that's at least in the ASV, it described a preliminary examination before trial. It may be thought of as a scrutinizing judgment. Here, it is a present tense verb. So again, it shows you the intensity. It shows you the ferociousness of the people who were making accusations against Paul. They are associated with a judge who holds an investigation or interrogates the accused or the witness. That's interesting that back in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3, Paul brought up the same kind of thing. And he said, these things are really a small matter to me. I'm not really troubled by them. Uh, that also I think tells you something about his courage. You have these people attacking him you have these people after him you have these people perhaps trying to destroy his reputation and he's, he just kind of you know says I'm not too concerned about that. Why would he say that? What kind of thinking would cause a person to reason in that way? I mean he's got people after him on virtually every side saying everything they possibly can and it really doesn't matter to me. Yes. That's a good beginning point. He knows that he's right. He's got right on his side. He's got God on his side. Anything else?
1: Just like today, if, you, if you're if you living the way that God wants you to live, we, we all know that we're all going to die. So the fact that we're going to die isn't what's important. The fact that how we're, how we're going to be when we die. That's what's important. And I think that he had that in front of his mind always. He, he was ready to die for, for Christ. He wasn't, he wasn't afraid to die. He, he just wanted to make sure that he was right with Jesus when he did die.
0: That is true. Going back and developing the point that Steve had made just a little bit ago, keeping in mind what him said as well. If you have all these people coming after you, what's the chance that you're going to be able to shut all that down?
3: Be able to watch, be able
0: to watch. Oh, okay. You have all these people coming after you. I mean, wherever you look, you got people complaining about you. You got people hollering about you. People are unhappy about you. They're saying every bad thing that they can possibly say. What's the chance of making that all disappear, or go away? No. Yeah, slim and probably none. So. If that's true, then what do you do? Yeah. I, I, I mean, you either have to um, turn tail and run, and that still might follow you, or you have to stand there and say, hey, look, I've got a mission. God has given me a responsibility, and I'm going to stand here, and I'm going to do the job. You guys can say what you want to say. You can believe what you want to say, uh, but um, I, I'm going to defend myself, and the chips will fall where they fall. Dolores?
2: Did job with being a tent
0: maker. You didn't don't right yep. like this why did you do that? So it's not like he's never had someone approach him before, I would imagine. Now I would think, going back to what Adam said, as far as him being the ideal one to go out and preach the gospel, he's also got secular work experience. And there were surely people who had been critical, never likely to this level. Because, I mean, these people, there's just a barrage of criticism. And, I mean, uh, it was withering criticism. A lot of people would have wilted it under the kinds of attacks that he's getting. But little by little, God had fortified him and helped him to the point where he was able to, uh, you know, successfully deal with these things. He's going to talk about in the second Corinthian letter that there were times where it just seemed like, you know, he'd been weighed down to the point of death. So uh, this did weigh on him at times, but at the same time, he was able to shake it off on a number of, of uh, different occasions and you have to look at him and say that was really, really commendable. Uh one source said Paul does not admit that the Corinthians have the right to institute such an inquiry. He merely accepts the inquiry and even welcomes it. People today will sometimes say something like, If you want to take me on, feel free. And Paul's kind of doing that here. He's willing to stand. So uh we remember Second Timothy chapter three and verse twelve, Yea, all that would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer. Persecution. So Paul has been there, and we as God's people may, may have to deal with the same kind of thing. All right, Paul has various rights. He's got various uh, liberties. He's a free man. He's an apostle. He uh, is going to say that he renounced some of those things um, for the benefit of others. We're going to see that in verse 22. So Paul kind of conducts his own judicial inquiry. He's going to raise some issues being discussed among the, among the Corinthians, and he is going to respond to them little by little. We can't get very very far with verses four through six, but we will at least start unless there's something that you want to interject. Anybody? All right, let's at least read those verses and say a bit. He says, have we, that would be Paul and others, have we no right to eat and drink? Have we no right to lead about a wife that is a believer, even as the rest of the apostles and the brethren of the Lord in Cephas? Or I only and Barnabas, have we not a right to forbear working? Now these verses list some of the rights that Paul had and those rights would have extended, of course, to some other Christians as well. But Paul says, even though I have these rights, these are some rights that I'm not using. These are some rights for your benefit that I'm going to forego. If you look at the ASV, it says, right, and the King James was is going to use the word power. And we're going to see that word again in verses um, uh, a little bit later in uh, 12, 912, 918, and then in chapter 11, 10, and 15, and verse 24. One source says in 1 Corinthians 9, 4, the meaning is because of his spiritual ministry as a servant of the church, the apostle has the right to have his physical needs looked after by the church. This is one of the places in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 where you read about preachers being entitled to pay. In a lot of congregations, that is not an issue, but over the years, there have been some people who have gotten some really interesting ideas about preachers and a paycheck. I had, uh, in Fort Wayne, a man asked me one time, he had some interesting ideas and he said i would prefer to pay you directly well he never did that i said if you want to do that you know we can talk to the congregation about that and and kind of get that sorted out so everything you know uh, is on the up and up Uh, but people sometimes have some really really interesting ideas about that and paul was willing to forego that as you look at second thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 9 you have the same kind of thing just being discussed here in first corinthians chapter 9 all right paul asks if he and others did not have the right to eat and drink Do you think that was literal? Paul says, don't we have the right to eat and drink? Do you think that was literal? Well, if you don't eat and drink, what's going to happen to you? All right, you die. So that probably is not going to be the point of emphasis. It's probably going to be figurative. What do you think he means by that? Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Well, I think he's. we're going to see kind of a little bit clearer as we get through the chapter he's talking about financial uh, financial support if you are my work in the lord as we've seen earlier if i have invested my time and my effort in you then you have a responsibility and that responsibility is what you will you, you will help us survive we're going to have some things to eat and drink so uh we don't die